the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. We are back on the Monday edition of Lifeline. The time is 6.15. Let's go to line number one and talk with Pam in Morgan Hill. Pam, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you for your patience. What's your thoughts or comments or observations today? Okay. I um, wanted to talk a little bit about BLM and racial inequality. Um, I... um, probably a year ago, watched uh, something on TV from Cory Booker uh, talk, laying out uh, the reasons why blacks don't have op- equal opportunity to get ahead and had to do with incarceration, causing fatherless, white flight from the inner city, and real estate. And it, and it, it kind of evoked a memory that I had from when I was young. In 1974, um, I'm white, and I... Um, lived in a uh, community, it was probably mostly white, but I had a black friend, and one time we were talking, and she invited me to her house. And her house, she said, she lived on this, she called it the black tea. And I'm like, well, what's the black tea? And she says, well, it's an area where we can buy houses. And I go, what do you mean, where you can buy houses? And she proceeded to tell me that they couldn't buy houses in white neighborhoods, mm-hmm. which I thought was horrible at the time, um, and so when I heard this thing from Cory Booker just a little while ago, it kind of brought that back to me. And then Phil Vischer from VeggieTales laid out the same thing about the inequality. Mm-hmm. So um, as a white person, I, I was just, I just, that memory coming back to me was very strong. Um, so I guess I, I wanted to talk about that. Um, and then also... Um, I heard a history teacher, a conservative black history teacher on the radio today saying that about 80% of the kids in his class are not obedient to imperative commands. And his thought on that was because of fatherlessness in the home, that um, kids don't have a father that's saying, you know, when they say something like sit down or clean up your room or whatever, they're not. Um, they're not doing that, and that's being carried over into the classroom. Again, so fatherlessness being a problem. Um, so those are two things I kind of, I know, I don't know if they have anything to do with what we're talking about today, but. Well, they do, they do in part, they do in part, Pam. Um, if I uh, were to press in deeper into the uh, redlining and, and uh, some of the historic discriminatory policies that, um, took place decades ago with regards to making sure that African Americans did not have the ability to purchase property in certain areas. That's that's obvious uh, obvious fact that was across the nation. There's still a lot of controversial argumentation that one would have to be exposed to, and and could not succumb to a mere uh, anecdotal sort of a, a response to to that. Meaning that, as much as that was an experience of yours, it doesn't constitute the totality of all of the complex elements that go into why African Americans 
uh, have not advanced in life to the degree that certain people are asserting that they should. There are very clear factors uh, and, and stats that are out that are talking about how outstandingly the African-American community has excelled. And it's almost explicitly obvious when you look at where African-Americans are in terms of their visibility, in terms of their presence, in terms of their uh, financial influence. It's it's just not even a conversation as to how well African-Americans have done over the last 40 or 50 years. That The stats are clear in terms of we're not living in Jim Crow. We're not back in the days where we have just barely broken through uh, slavery. Um, uh, we're not there. I mean, we have made outstanding levels of progress, and these stats are there to prove it. Is there still a lot of work to be done in the area of, of, of black growth and black achievement? Yes. Is it factual that historically one of the major catastrophic destructive components that hindered African-American communities is the destruction of the family? Yes. If we were to go down that path, I would take up a whole nother argumentation about socialist policies that are rooted in Marxist principles that are explicitly taught about in the Black Lives Matter platform where the original founders of the Black Lives Matter are pro-destruction of the heteronormative uh, hierarchical uh, patriarchal system of, of family where there's a father in the home and a mother in the home and they are pro uh, uh, or anti rather um, if you will authoritarian in terms of children not being influenced or controlled or are guided by parents it's very clear that we're dealing with ideology today that has not only emerged as clearly uh, Marxist in his hostility towards God, hostility towards freedom, hostility towards capitalism, hostility towards success on the part of human beings. Marx was a insane individual who's whose ideology gripped the world and brought about massive levels of destruction and its incipient policies have been part of the social uh, contract of America uh, all the way back to uh, Lyndon B. Johnson uh, and Franklin D. Roosevelt. And we know that the welfare system has been devastating to the mm -hmm. black community because I was part of it. I saw how it destroyed my family and relatives and things of that nature. The answer to me, however, is this, that as painful as that was, as destructive as it was, it was a hurdle for black people to overcome. And many African-Americans have overcome that hurdle. It can still be overcome, but it cannot be overcome by the model, model and methodology of this social justice movement that's, that's taking place today. It is the wrong methodology. It will have the wrong outcome. It sounds good. But it is so anti-God in terms of his platform and principles that it's actually going to have the negative effect. And again, I, I, I would say that as much as um, African-Americans have made great strides, what they should do is continue to bow the knee to the true and the living God, submit itself to a biblical model of submission to good governance, and then to return again to a family-centered structure. Those are the advocations of wise African-American scholars who are, if you will, economists. They are philosophers. They are humanitarians. They all have written about this, talked about this, and continue to talk about 
this up to the present uh, moment. And anyone who has become successful as an African-American has used this model that I'm talking about. Don't complain. Don't get mad. Don't seek vengeance. Just work hard. Uh, strive to get an education, employ all of the uh, civil and uh, governmental resources that are available, stick your head to the grind, uh, become uh, self-sufficient, value character, value um, uh, self-development, education, entrepreneurship, and the doors are wide open for any of us, whether black or white or Latino or other, to be utterly successful in our world. Let us stop blaming other people for our success because God doesn't do that. He takes care of that. He will ultimately take care of that. But he gives you and I the right to walk in the freedom and the liberty and the power of the grace of God. That way I don't have to hold over your head, uh, Pam, any notion that you are part of the racist systemic system and filled with uh, privileges that that should merit me despising you or uh, feeling superior to you or provoking in you. Uh, uh, white fragility, so that you bow down to me, and 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 if you were were if it were polish my shoes, all of that is unchristian, and it's not necessary for success. So I, I hope that helps you as well that in terms does. of. I have, I have a quick question. Then what I'm finding, what I'm struggling with, is I've been exposed to all of what you just said, um, just the success and and the hard work and all all those things, um, and listen to some wonderful people on that. So. I completely agree with that. What I'm I'm struggling with is that how do we integrate or how do we get whites and blacks talking together? I feel like it's created this chasm, and I'm like, I would love to see the churches more integrated or at least socially be more integrated because then we could talk amongst each other as opposed to— What it's going to require, what it's going to require, my sister, what it's going to require are brave men and women— who are not driven by emotions because I mean, I wish, I wish I had time to go head on and walk, walk you through how we have been conditioned not to want to debate these matters. We've been conditioned that you're just guilty. You white people are just guilty. And, and, and the moment that you go to try to give another side or another angle or another view, uh, it's a proof of your racism. The best thing you can do is be quiet and bow down and let us have our tantrum and let us have our way. It's really a sad policy because it's contrary to the uh, the founding fathers' whole idea of freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion. And, and these are these are essential qualities For two people who may have different views to be able to be in the same space and talk them through. Now, should church folk be able to do that? Please listen to what I'm about to say. Should church folk be able to do that? Yes. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. And then I have to just let you go. I'm sorry. Unfortunately, church folk side way too much with their melon and pigmentation than they do with the word of God. It's a sad reality, but that's the nature of our country. The culture of our country is that many professing Christians are far more wrapped up in the value of their skin than the value of the word of God, which actually would completely mitigate all of this kind of divisiveness. And so we got to pray for that. It's really rooted in revival. 
Thank you for your call. Let me go to Thank line you. number okay. uh, four and speak with Dan in Sonoma while we have a few minutes left before the break. Dan, are you there? You have particularly good audio today. Uh, I want to tell you two things. Sure. The first one is, uh, whether it's in public or private fora, shutting down debate is the very thing that the world's been accusing Christians of for such a long, long time, and now the world wants to do it, shut down exactly. debate. Right. <laughs> Craziness, and it's precisely what helped me eventually. What would have helped me when I was thirteen or fourteen, and my grandmother, she was a believer, but she gave she had a friend named Mickey, and they gave me some Christian record Braille Foundation records, and I started uh, absorbing Adventism, and I listened to Garner Ted on the air. Sure, and. Uh, down the road, it was discussing things in pub, public and private forum and having ideas challenged yep. that was uh, exposed to that and, and curative to that and helpful in that regard yep. to, to discuss things and get to a commonality of fact and uh, discussing things logically and questioning when people of authority said something Yep. And, and uh, researching it and find out whether it was relevant. Uh, so why would parents want to bring their kids up in a so their kids are unable to think? Well, uh, uh, so we have a tier of things here, layers of uh, uh, what I would call dysfunctionality and sinful behavior. And I appreciate the way you framed it. So at the top, let's say our government first and foremost, our government does not do a good job of actually civilly debating issues either. This is called politics. If you are leftist, you have ideas and, and, and rarely do they cross over into the right arena to be discussed civilly, rationally, objectively for a consensus that is positive and helpful. The same thing with the right. Uh, this is politics. It just stalemates on so many levels. Secondly, we see this in the media with the left-right narratives. Very seldom does the left-right narrative meet in a civil discourse context to actually discuss and debate the validity and substance of their views. Very seldom do they do that. This is just your political uh, plantation, my uh, my my master is better than your master mentality. And that is the fundamental, uh, I, I will, if you will, stimulus for division uh, among Americans. It is the secret underlying, uh, I would call, uh, uh, idol of Americans where they are even willing to give up biblical nobility, biblical character, biblical integrity to continue pushing a policy or a view that is tribal in nature just because they are of that particular party. I've been dealing with that for decades as a pastor. 
I despise a politically driven Christian when they are willing to to throw the word of God away when it comes to their identity. And I I suffer the consequences to some extent of dealing with people like that in my own uh, congregation who think that it's okay to have a worldview that's contrary to the word of God when it comes to uh, political uh, party platform ideas that would endanger a relationship between human beings. Uh, It is absolutely asinine that I would hold a kind of subtle, quiet view of racist tendencies towards my white congregational member uh, just because I'm part of a tribal political uh, group that basically advocates uh, indicting them with systemic racism and totally disregard individuals per capita. It's utterly sinful, but they do that. Now, the only way that we're going to overcome this uh, allegiance to the political system is to enter into a more civil debate context. But that has been destroyed too, because in your colleges, they have systematically, uh, if you will, uh, disembarked upon legitimate discourse. This is what Prager was saying. So the kids coming out of college today don't even know how to debate. They don't even know how to take up a challenge. All they know how to do is disagree and then cry and whine and walk away with their toys. They don't know how to engage quietly, confidently, calmly, and set out their arguments and let their peers determine whether or not they actually know what they're talking about, whether or not they can actually prove and defend their position with facts, with history, and with every other necessary paraphernalia to... to, um, um, uh, are, are a set of arguments that would substantiate their position. They don't do that today. We're just arguing. You're hearing people merely arguing. It is what Jonathan Haidt called not only tribalism, but he said this. He said that human beings today are more adolescent than they are adult. They have not matured to be able to be confronted with somebody saying, I disagree with you, it hurts them emotionally. It's a sad, sad reality, but that's where we are. And the Bible talks about it in Isaiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 and 12, where God says, children, women shall rule over you and children shall be your oppressors. It was a sad state of affairs in Israel where they collapsed into a loss of qualified leadership as well. And the next thing you know, the tables are turned over and that's where we're headed as a nation as well. Got to take a hard break. Got to pay some bills. Gloria, you hold on. Diaz, you hold on. We'll be right back after this break. And now back to Lifeline. All right. Thank you uh, for your patience with that long break. We had to pay a bunch of bills. So I want to get at it as uh, quickly as possible. Let's go to Gloria in Canada. Gloria, are you there? Um, I was wondering, um, I wanted to thank you for all your great messages and uh, studies, uh, Mm -hmm. especially your one on the manifesto. Yes. And um, I, I was listening to it, and so was my husband, and uh, many different comments you made. We thought, hey, this sounds like Canada. <laughs> exactly. So, and I wanted to say um, uh, how I appreciate what you were saying about voting, mm-hmm. because uh, this last time we never voted, my husband and I, because we didn't approve of any of the candidates. Agreed. 
so um, we we didn't vote. So uh, and we felt kind of condemnation. But after talking, uh, you talking about that, uh, we were smiling at each other and saying, "Yeah, that's what we agreed with." So absolutely, I would say this too. Thank you for your call, uh, Gloria, as well from Canada. Two things: I would love to have an extended conversation, but I'm going to have to take a break in about three minutes. Unfortunately, I would love to have an extended conversation with you as a Canadian uh, talking to an audience here in America that I know just as an aggregate whole are completely oblivious to the accelerated rate in which socialism and fundamentals of Marxism have so destroyed the politics in Canada that people have no idea what's coming down the pike here in America. They just don't understand the dysfunctionality that we're about to engage in, the uh, lack of quality health care, the lack of quality uh, social uh, resources that are about to take place. They don't have any idea here in America, these people who are blinded by an ideology that promises utopia, but has never ever brought it to pass in any country in uh, the which uh, Marxist socialism and, and communism has ever planted its uh, diabolical seeds. Um, you're having watched our website and having seen uh, this uh, this development that I hope to actually air successfully here in the Bay Area in a couple of weeks, because I'm sure that our uh, our common people here don't understand the correlation between the social justice movement, Black Lives Matter, and uh, and even the political left in its diabolical agenda as well. They just don't know. They are ignorant of it. But it's also because they're enjoying freedoms and benefits here in America, <clears throat> in America, excuse me, for which they do not uh, appreciate. Um, what would you have to say to that before I let you go? Uh, I, I would totally agree. And a lot of things that are being done in this country are not fair. Right. Right. See, and that's the other reality. I wish, uh, I really wish, I appreciate you in waiting as long as you did. What we're going to be hearing, if the uh, left has its way in about two years, uh, Gloria, is that common phrase all over the nation. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And it really won't be fair because the methodology by which one group of people will be taken advantage of because of the strong arm of government uh, uh, in order to justify an implementation of something that's supposed to bring about equity, which won't happen. Equity will not happen. It just will not happen. And people will just simply live under the... Uh, oppression of a very powerful governmental system that will shut down any kind of significant pushback or debate or discussion. People will just live in that lower tier of, uh, of I don't even know how to describe it, other than a, a, a poor quality of life based upon a mythical concept of communism and socialism that that has never, ever really worked out. That's the exactly. only way I know how to put it. So thank exactly. you for your but call. I want to also say, Pastor Jesse, that how much I appreciate you, because I would be 
a, a bunch of nerves and and scared and everything, but you have made me come to the realization how great and how awesome our sovereign God is and how he's in control of all things. Yep. And I, because in our country, most people are sheeple, and yep. most people do not realize what is really going on. We have a dictator. Yeah. And I could tell you stories after stories of my own, even my own husband, who got yeah. laid off a job and for the longest time couldn't find any work because he was white. Yep. Yep. And and I, I tell you, I, uh, you know, I, I'd love for you to call back in the future for us to develop some of those narratives, because that's what's coming to America shortly. The, uh, the big difference, however, is that uh, what's going to happen here in America, ladies and gentlemen, quite frankly, is there's going to be such a significant pushback by the uh, Caucasian community because we are used to uh, a level of freedom that won't be easily taken from us, no matter if, in fact, somehow they are able to get into the White House and the, the far left policies are implemented. There will be levels of revolution that will disembark this nation and the joyful glee that the social injustice movement uh, is expecting will be met with uh, a despairingly uh, resistant element in America. They're already preparing for it because that's just how uh, Americans are historically. And a lot of people will be moving. A lot of people will be leaving uh, uh, extremely liberal states like California. I'm hearing the conversations. I'm engaging with people on them because things are going to get extremely bad because we don't appreciate what we have. Thank you for the call, Gloria. God bless you. Let me see here. I've got two minutes before the break. You know what, though? Uh, Nate, let's take a break. Cover those bills so I can have a little bit of time to close out with our other callers. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. Let's go to the phone lines and talk with Diaz on line number three, or Desi, rather. Desi, are you there? Uh, yes, I'm here. Good. Thank you for your patience. What is your uh, thoughts, comments, or observations, sir? Uh, well, thank you. Uh, as a Gulf, I'm a Gulf War vet of uh, some disabilities, um, uh, but I would like to make comment on uh, the make-to-fail Republican Party. Uh, we, we have a socialized uh, system of government, which is uh, VA, me uh, Medicare. It, it's all our, our basic needs. Um, and uh, the make-to-fail Republicans, though, I'm afraid they're going to bring us to a point where we have no option and we'll be forced to accept whatever they, they lay on the table. Um, uh, who is that? Who is that? Who are you? Who are you referring to? You're saying that the Republicans are what now? I didn't understand that term you used. Make to fail, like they in the last twenty years, uh, they've held eighteen of those years in power. Uh, that the Democrats really only had from two thousand eight to two thousand ten. Right, and then they were right. And so you're asserting that the Republicans, in a very passive way, are giving up on our country, and, and it's almost inevitable because of a lack 
of character and a lack of uh, direction and a lack of leadership in the Republican Party that we will now lean into this very difficult time that's that might occur here in the next few months. Is that what you're saying, sir? Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I agree um, with you. Uh, largely, and this is what also Desi makes uh, the matter of our uh, present uh, situation with our president also remarkable, because quite frankly, uh, what has happened over the last four years has been more like a popular uh, uh, dictator dialogue than a, uh, a, a, a democratic uh, representative republic process discourse. Meaning, you have not heard from any of the Republicans, by and large, uh, as a whole constituency, speaking about what to do, where to go, how to recover, how to um, move forward. Everything has been from Trump to Trump, through Trump, about Trump. And that is a dismal commentary on the Republican Party. Uh uh, in, in that light, what I would also say is that for people who don't understand the implications of what I just uh, asserted, Trump has done a remarkable job uh, given the hollow, uh, emptied shell of the guideless Republicans. It almost appears like the Republicans are just dead in the water and the Democrats know that. They, they, they perceive that the, the Republicans are empty suits without any real policies, any real uh, vision, without any real um, agenda, without re any real passion for the American people. Uh, of course, uh, there are some new Republicans that are coming along who are much more uh, vigorous and zealous for the party, but our older uh, generation of senators and, and congressmen are, are sadly missing in action when it comes to how serious the issues are uh, before us. Uh, having said that, um, I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat. I am an independent because I've lost faith in both of those parties long ago. What I have not lost faith in, Desi, is God's ability to determine, to shape and to govern our country uh, just simply because we still have a semblance of a democratic process uh, that when we get the right uh, leadership in, whether locally or at the White House, uh, he can turn the hearts of the kings in whichever direction he wants, as he did with President Trump. I had no idea how President Trump would function. He bore the wrath of virtually everybody in America, particularly the left, and their attempts at uh, impeaching him and destroying him and blaming him for everything, which is, again, to me, a, 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 a psychopathic phenomenon of, of, of significant proportion, how just people on the left are just stuck on Donald Trump. Uh, and he's born it. And he has done some remarkable things in spite of a lack of major support in his own party. But that speaks 
uh, that speaks in a very negative light about what we have in front of us in the future. And all we can do, Desi, is pray that God would grant our country a reprieve from the evident judgment that's right around the corner because as a whole, our nation has on so many levels abandoned a biblical worldview, have adopted platforms and ideologies that have surreptitiously come into our communities, into our entertainment, into our education, into our body politic. It has stripped Americans of sound reasoning skills, of a reverence for God. At best, we play church. We don't have a biblical worldview. And this is all against God himself. So our nation has a lot to reckon with. And it doesn't stop at politics. Bless you, Mr. Desi. Bless you. We got to close out today. Lord willing, we will see you guys next Monday. Until then, keep your eyes on Christ. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.